faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings at a single bound. The instant of ship town is now the man of steel. Superman! Welcome to episode 72 of Superman Forever Radio. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. This week, I'm going to take you on a trip back in time. But first, we have a winner. I know, I'm a little late putting this on the air, but we have a winner in the Man of Steel poster contest with GBPosters.com. After putting each name into a spreadsheet in the order I received them, I used a random number generator to choose the winner. And the winner is Mr. David Riley, who has been informed I have been in contact via email. And so David will be receiving the a Man of Steel poster of his choice from GBPosters.com. And I just want to say a big hearty congratulations. Thank you to everybody who participated. The turnout on this was fantastic. So thank you all. Uh, next, a quick order of business. I want to mention the Superman, the Ultimate Guide to the Man of Steel. This is a new version of a book that has been... Out on stands to coincide with the movie. It has the new 52 Superman on the cover. I actually, you know, kind of shrugged this off at first because I assumed it was just a simple update to an already existing book. But when I got a hold of a copy, I have to recommend it highly because instead of just a quick and easy update to add in a few extra bits in here, the here and there pieces, they've actually overhauled the book completely. It's fresh and it's chock full of information. And it's already inspired a few upcoming episodes of the show. So I wanted to primarily point out, uh, it's all new stuff, it's worth your time to pick up. And as for Superman the Animated Series, looks like my DVD is not coming back from the brink of disaster. Uh, it's not wanting to play, I don't know exactly what it is. So it's in the abyss right now. After several face palms and a lot of frustration, I've kind of accepted that I'm finally giving up on the coverage for the time being. Again, I know, I flip-flop more on this than Ross Perot. But until I replace the DVD set, which I hate to do, I'm going to put the STAS on the back burner for a while. But we'll see what we can do on replacing that after the Superman celebration in Metropolis, which is only a few short weeks away now. Uh, Charlie Niemeyer and I, um, we're going to be heading up there. Now, Charlie was on the show last week. For those of you who are not aware, he hosts a show called Superman in the Bronze Age. But we're going to be carpooling together, and we're expecting to meet Billy Hogan of the Superman Fan Podcast, Steve Yunus of the Superman homepage, a few others. So if you're a listener of this show or Superman in the Bronze Age, keep an eye out for Charlie and I and don't be afraid to say hi to us. We're harmless. Well, at least, mostly harmless. But I'm really, really looking forward to getting back to Metropolis after not going to the celebration last year. There's something about Metropolis that recharges my batteries, and I really felt that loss last year. It's just, I think it's just this ball of positivity. And everyone, everywhere you go, everyone is in a great mood. We're all, I guess we're in our element. And, you know, it's all Superman fans. And there's always a pang of sadness when I have to leave and come back home here. But, for right now, it's still ahead of me. And I'm looking forward to looking forward to that trip. And I'm looking forward to the coverage of the trip on this show, which should be episode 74. For now, travel back in time with me for this episode. Back to Christmas, 1984. It was a good Christmas. I got Snake Mountain, the Dragon Walker, several Superpowers toys to flesh out my Justice League lineup, but I also got a Fisher-Price tape recorder. 
which would begin the journey that would lead me to creating this show. The tape recorder was, it was simple, it was made from durable plastic, it was this sort of light brown color, but it came with this tape that on one side had to this sort of how-to segment, um, and was blank on the other. The, the how-to segment taught you how to make sound effects, like crumpling paper to make it sound like fire. And uh, I took to recording my thoughts on it immediately. Now, along with the tape recorder, I received two Fisher-Price books with tapes to read along with. One was Batman the Case of the Laughing Sphinx. The other was Superman from Krypton to Metropolis, which would become a huge, huge part of my Superman fandom. And I think I talked about this book quite extensively on episode 34 as I went wistfully back. Well, this week, thanks to Steve Eunice of the Superman homepage, who was gracious enough to allow me to use the audio from the site... Uh, to play for you. I'm going to take you on an audio journey into that story. I'm going to play the full uh, full audio from it. Um, so what we will do is I'm going to take a brief break, go to a promo, and then when we come back, Superman from Krypton to Metropolis. <laughs> everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. And we are back to look at From Krypton to Metropolis, which had a story by E. Nelson Bridwell, 
Uh, the book itself was illustrated by Ross Andrew, Adrian Gonzalez, Mike DiCarlo, and Gene D'Angelo. Now, the audio you're about to hear uh, is narrated by Michael Kingsbury Frith, with voice actors Jor-El is played by David Manick, leader of the Science Council by Stefan Canfer, Laura by Ellen Sherman, who also plays Martha Kent. Uh, oddly, Jor-El is also the actor that David Manick plays Jonathan Kent. It's almost a Peter Pan thing. Uh, director of the Orphanage is Jim Thurman, but this features uh, Christina Frith as Lois Lane, Jim Thurman as Perry White, Frederick R. Newman as the grown-up Lex Luthor, Andrew Helfer as a young Lex Luthor, and Alan Asherman as Superman. It was produced and directed by Christopher Cerf with uh, associate producer Bill Efros. Music is by David Connor and the Fisher Prize Festival Orchestra. So without further ado... Superman from Krypton to Metropolis. Superman from Krypton to Metropolis. Years ago, out in space, far beyond our own solar system, the giant planet Krypton circled around a huge red sun. Many times larger than Earth, this scientifically advanced world had existed for untold ages. Few Kryptonians believed anything could threaten their peaceful lives. But deep within the core of Krypton, natural forces were at work which would soon doom the thriving planet. One man knew the fate that awaited Krypton. He was Jor-El, that world's greatest scientist and a member of the ruling science council. But knowing the truth was not enough. He still had to convince the unbelieving people of his home world. This was Jor-El's mission on that fateful morning as he walked through the streets of the great city of Kryptonopolis. One thought rang through his mind. This time I must convince the council members of the truth. They have scoffed at me before. This is my last chance. If I fail again, it will be too late for us all. That rumbling sound, it must be another quake. It was distant at first, but it soon grew louder and louder until the ground began to shudder with a quaking that threw many citizens off their feet. The buildings swayed and the streets seemed to groan as they cracked apart. As swiftly as it had begun, the tremor passed. Jor-El looked around to see if any of the people who had fallen needed help. No one seemed badly hurt, but the condition of the once beautiful buildings was getting worse each time the tremor struck. Jor-El frowned and quickened his pace, a fierce glint of determination in his noble eyes. Moments later, Jor-El stood in the great council chamber, ready to address its members. Almost breathless from his haste, he still found the power to speak out in a loud, ringing voice. Our only hope is to build a fleet of giant space arcs to carry us safely to another world. I have searched through my star charts and have found a planet called Earth. Its yellow sun and lesser gravity will give us all powers beyond imagining. We could become a race of supermen! Superman. 
As Jor-El spoke of Krypton's doom, the members of the council grew angrier and angrier. Finally, the council leader would hear no more. He rose to his feet and shouted down at Jor-El. We have heard enough of your nonsense. You disgrace your position on the council with your prophecies of doom. We have found no proof of your wild theory. Yours are simply the ravings of our madman. Satisfied with his rejection of Jor-El's theory, the council leader returned to his seat. Now, barely able to contain his anger, Jor-El made his final plea to the unheeding council. You will have your proof, but by then it will be too late. The planet itself will have exploded from beneath our very feet. With that, Jor-El turned and stalked out of the chamber, his face a mixture of frustration and sorrow. After a time, he turned his steps homeward to tell Lara, his wife, of his failure. To think that a handful of foolish men could condemn a whole planet to a fiery doom. While he spoke, she listened calmly. In her arms, their little son, Kal-El, cooed happily. Why won't they listen to me? He asked her. You've done your best to save them. Since they refuse to accept the truth... At least you can finish building your ship to take some of us to safety. At that instant, another shock hit the city. This one greater than any before. Jor-El's worst fears had come to pass. The end was approaching, and only a small model of his planned spaceship was ready to be launched. Hurry, Lara. Put little Kalel in the ship. Even if we can't save ourselves, we can save our son. Quickly! We have only seconds left. Baby securely strapped inside the ship, Jorel pressed the ignition button that sent it hurtling into space. With tears in his eyes, Jorel spoke. In a short time, our son will reach the planet Earth. There, he will grow to be mightier than any other being. Let us hope he learns to use his powers wisely for the good of all. On Earth, our son will be. A Superman. Even as Jor-El spoke, his warning to the people of Krypton was fulfilled. With an awesome roar, Krypton exploded. But, safe within the space vessel, wrapped in blankets of blue, red, and yellow, the last son of Krypton could not hear the sounds. Little Kal-El was too young to realize his world was no more. Time went by. The small ship passed into another solar system, one with a yellow sun around which several planets revolved. The ship headed directly for the third planet, a world of blue oceans, green vegetation, and great banks of fleecy clouds. The spaceship and its superhuman cargo knifed down through the clouds toward a field outside a town called Smallville in the United States of America. Driving along a country road in their pickup truck, Jonathan and Martha Kent were enjoying a pleasant June day when a roaring sound overhead caught Ma Kent's attention. Looking up, she gasped as she saw a strange red and blue object coming down from the sky. Come over, Jonathan. I don't know what that thing is, but we better stop and see. No telling where it came from. 
Even as the farmer brought his truck to a screeching stop, the spaceship struck the ground, plowing deeply into the field before coming to a grinding halt. Timidly, the Kents decided to investigate. Leaving their truck, they slowly edged toward the deep gorge made by the rocket. They were amazed. The spacecraft was unharmed, but the canopy had sprung open and something inside had been thrown out. A baby. Little Kal-El sat on the ground, smiling. Ma Kent gasped. He's adorable. Look, he's sifting sand through his fingers. She was wrong. He was crushing rocks with his bare hands. Ma Kent picked up the child. Oh, Jonathan, we've wanted a baby for so long. Can't we keep him? Not if anyone knew how we got him. Why, Martha, that thing he was in could have come from another planet for all we know. We'd better hide that rocket and take this abandoned youngster to the local orphanage. You can bet they won't be able to find his family. When they put him up for adoption, we'll be first in line. Several days later, the director of the Smallville Orphanage ushered the Kents into his office. The director felt relieved and thought to himself, uh, They want to adopt that baby. It's okay with me. If I didn't know better, I'd swear that child had some kind of strange powers. Well, these folks can worry about that now. <laughs> Had he or the Kents looked out the window at that moment, they would have seen Kal-El in a swing going all the way around the bar in a complete circle. Not once, but many times. And that was not all. Only the toddlers knew their playmate had now lifted the little merry-go-round they were riding and was twirling it about, giving them a truly super ride. Meanwhile, the orphanage director made his decision. Ah, Mr. and Mrs. Kent, your uh, application seems in order. You understand we generally prefer younger adoptive parents. <laughs> However, in your case, we are willing to make an exception. <laughs> you have our approval. To himself, he added, Anything that makes my job easier. I still can't understand why the doctor couldn't vaccinate him. He claims the needle broke. <laughs> As the couple joyfully carried the new addition to their family from the orphanage, Jonathan said, We'll name him after your family, Martha. The Clarks. You hear that, baby? Ma Kent added, From now on, your name is Clark Kent. Kal-El didn't quite understand, though already he was picking up some English words. Within a week, he'd be able to talk pretty well. He had a super brain. As he looked back at the sign hanging over the orphanage gate, Clark accidentally turned on his heat vision. The invisible beams from his eyes cut through the chain that held up the sign. It fell on the director's head. I knew it! That kid is a jinx, he muttered to himself. The Kent farm was like nothing Clark had ever seen before. On Krypton, farming was done by robots, and his family had lived in the capital city. He loved the earth animals and the wide fields that gave him room to run and play. The towering buildings of Kryptonopolis could never provide this kind of open space. One day, as Pa Kent plowed his field, he was horrified to see Clark chase a ball right into the path of the powerful tractor. There was no time to stop. 
A moment later, Pa Kent jumped from the wrecked tractor, which had been crushed by the impact with the boy's body. Clark seemed unaware of what had happened. His playsuit was ripped, but he had not been scratched. Day by day, Clark showed his parents what an unusual child he was. Once, Pa Kent needed to bring the cows from the pasture, and Clark decided to help by carrying a full-grown cow above his head. Brad, I'm out of matches, Pa Kent said. Clark decided to use another power he had perfected. Staring at the pipe, he sent out infrared rays from his eyes. Within seconds, Pa Kent was smoking contentedly, his pipe lit by his son's heat vision. One afternoon, the farmhands didn't finish stacking the hay. Imitating them, Clark completed the job in a few minutes. At least half a day's work for three men, and Clark wasn't even out of breath. A flat tire. Uh, I'll have to jack up the rear of the truck. Pa Kent could go no further. Little Clark calmly lifted the back end of the pickup and held it while his astonished father changed the tire. I should have had this cake in the oven an hour ago. It'll be late for the hospital cake sale. Ma Kent sighed. Clark turned on his heat vision and she gasped as she saw him bake the cake in moments using only his eyes. The Kents had an old-fashioned wood-burning stove in the farmhouse. As winter approached, Pa Kent declared, I'll have to lay in a supply of firewood. Clark watched to see how it was done and then split enough wood to last three months in a matter of minutes. Fire! Jonathan's cry rang out through the house. Swiftly, Clark followed his father up to the attic, not even bothering with the ladder. Instead, he actually flew! The boy knew how to put out the fire. One puff of super breath came from his lips. And a blast of wind tore through the attic, instantly extinguishing the flames. Pa Kent was utterly speechless, not only because of his son's deed, but because of something else he noticed. Look, Martha, the blankets we found Clark wrapped in were right in the middle of the fire, but they weren't even scorched. I can't tear them either. Pa Kent tried to cut the blankets with scissors and couldn't. He then tried to pierce them with a pitchfork. The blankets were indestructible. At last. Ma Kent said with relief. Our super baby wears out play suits so fast, I have a hard time keeping him dressed. But now I can make clothes that will last. Out of these blankets. Pa Kent smiled. How do you make anything out of cloth you can't cut? Ma Kent had a plan. She unraveled the blankets and knitted them into a wear-proof play suit. Whenever the threads needed cutting, Clark did the job with his heat vision. Several years later, Ma Kent unraveled her son's playsuit. Adding more threads from the blanket, she made an altogether different costume. The blue shirt and red cape bore a distinctive S emblem that one day would be known the world over. When the boy was eight years old, the Kent sold the farm and moved into Smallville, where they opened a general store. 
By the time Clark started school, he'd established a special image. He wore glasses and was known as a meek, mild boy who wasn't very good in sports. There was a reason for this. He had to be certain that no one would recognize him when he was ready to start his career as Superboy. Imagine the amazement of the people of Smallville when they saw this brightly clad boy flying over their town. At first, some were unable to believe their eyes. Others regarded the airborne lad with suspicion. Soon, they all learned to welcome the youthful figure patrolling the sky. And why not? Stopping crime and saving lives became part of the heroic boy's daily routine. There were some, however, who failed to cheer Superboy's appearances. They were criminals, and they came to both hate and fear the Boy of Steel. As one put it, At least you have a chance when you're fighting a cop. But how do you fight a kid with a hide so tough, bullets bounce off it like they were made of rubber? One day, a bridge collapsed as a school bus started across it. The vehicle began its plunge to seemingly certain doom. Superboy zoomed in and caught People were off, but to Superboy, it was nothing. Thanks to his great strength, the bus seemed no heavier than a feather. But, important as these feats were, no deed was too small for the boy of tomorrow. Rescuing a kitten caught in a tree was as much a part of his day's work as capturing bank robbers. Nice kitty. Sometimes, Smallville did not offer enough emergencies to fill his free time. He flew east to the Atlantic Ocean to save a tugboat sinking in a raging storm. On the small vessel, the grateful crew waved their hats and cheered. Soon, Superboy was honored by people of many countries who marveled at this youngster who did the impossible and who could not be harmed by anything. Well, there was one thing... When Krypton exploded, its fragments were turned into a glowing element called kryptonite. Its radioactive rays could weaken Superboy, and exposure to kryptonite for too long a time would kill him. One particular day, a kryptonite meteor fell to Earth near him. Overcome by the green radiation, the boy of steel sank to the ground. It seemed that nothing could save him. And then... Superboy, I'll help you. The Boy of Steel looked to see Lex Luthor, who was new in town. Luthor pushed the meteor into the river where it could no longer harm Superboy. He was aware that Lex Luthor had a reputation as a brilliant young scientist. Superboy could not know that Luthor, who had just saved his life, would soon become a bitter enemy. As soon as he regained his strength, Superboy spoke to Lex. You rescued me from certain death. What can I do to repay you? Not a thing except maybe be my friend. I'm your biggest fan. Someday I hope to do as much good with my scientific work as you have with your powers. Superboy brightened. He knew what to do. Suppose I help you get started on that now. I'm going to build you a laboratory. Wow! Superboy moved so swiftly that it seemed to Lex there was a whole crew of boys in blue collecting materials, building, and painting. In a short time, the modern laboratory was complete. It only needed the chemicals for Lex to work with. 
Superboy gathered these rapidly from on and under the earth and even from outer space. From that day on, while other boys played, Lex Luthor worked in his lab. Yet, Lex did not consider it work because he enjoyed it so much. The most difficult tasks, which would have dismayed many famous scientists, were enthusiastically tackled by Lex. One quest in particular drove him on. I must find a way to protect Superboy from kryptonite. After many experiments, Lex determined that the first step in creating such a cure was to create a new life form. If life existed, it could be created. If it could be created, Lex could create it. He was that sure of himself. And at long last, he succeeded. It was a mere lump of jelly-like substance, but it unmistakably moved with the spark of life. Lex swelled with pride in this. Success! I am the greatest scientist who ever lived! He was so overjoyed that he became careless. As he flung out his arms in excitement, he struck some chemicals and equipment, knocking them to the floor. <gasps> a fire started, and within moments, the lab was a roaring furnace. Superboy was patrolling across the town when he smelled smoke. The next moment, he was flying directly to the source. He was shocked to find where it came from. Holy smoke, Lex's lab! I have to put out the fire quickly or Lex is done for! As he landed, the boy of steel drew in a mighty breath, then let loose a powerful burst of carbon dioxide. The blast immediately extinguished the blazing inferno as though it were a candle. In seconds, the last spark flickered out. Have I arrived in time? I hope Lex hasn't been harmed by the flames. Superboy examined the lab with his X-ray vision. A gasp escaped from his lips. <gasps> Lex had not been burned, but strands of hair were falling from his head. Within moments, he would be completely bald. Luthor scowled. You knocked over my experiment with your super breath. My great discovery is destroyed. I can never duplicate it. You did this on purpose. I swear it isn't so. I blew out the fire to save your life. You knew that my discovery would make me more famous than you, so you deliberately ruined it. From now on, we're enemies. I won't rest until the world has seen the last of Superboy. And so Lex Luthor turned from good works to a life of crime. The years passed, and when Clark graduated from high school, he set his sights toward the future. I've perfected my powers. I'm a full-fledged superhero now. I'd be able to do more good in a large city. And so he boarded the bus from Metropolis to attend the university there. He majored in journalism because word of crime and disaster often reaches a newspaper office first, making it a perfect place to learn where he'd be needed most. During the second of his four years in college, Superboy gained a new name. Now he was... Superman! When he finished college, it was time to find a newspaper job. Which paper should he pick? He chose the Daily Planet. 
Editor Perry White liked the look of Clark Kent. He was rather meek and mild-mannered, yet Perry felt that this young man could make a first-class reporter. All right, Kent, you're hired. I'm a tough boss, and I demand that a reporter do his job and meet his deadlines. If you do that, we'll get along fine. Now, let me introduce you to some people. The two walked into the Daily Planet's bustling newsroom. Clark, I'd like you to meet our star reporter, Lois Lane. Clark sensed that there was something dynamic about this attractive young woman. But there was something more, a look of independence and determination that had undoubtedly helped her become a top reporter at a very young age. Clark was not usually one to make snap judgments, but he knew at once that he liked Lois. Perry White was soon congratulating Clark for a long string of scoops. Only Clark came close to matching Lois and getting Superman stories. As Clark's reputation grew, the two reporters became friendly rivals. One morning, as Clark was about to leave on an assignment, the building began to tremble. An earthquake. Clark turned from the elevator and quickly made his way to the storeroom. No one else was in there. Swiftly, he shed his suit, revealing the colorful costume of... Superman! A moment later, the famed red and blue clad figure sprang through a window and flew out over the city. Below, he saw streets cracking so violently that parked cars were disappearing into crevices. One or two small buildings were already in ruins, and many large ones were seriously damaged. People were milling about in confusion, searching for shelter. Before anyone was seriously hurt, the first task was to find out what caused the quake and stop it. And that was certainly a job for Superman! Directing his amazing X-ray vision beneath the ground, Superman spotted the source of the problem. Something had turned the bedrock beneath the city into a swirling pool of molten lava. Diving down with lightning speed, he crashed into the ground and drilled through the rock and soil. In seconds, he had reached the liquid stone. A blast of frigid arctic air streamed forth from the Man of Steel's lips. And in seconds, the lava cooled and hardened back to normal. The threat was ended. It had certainly been a strange disaster, but no stranger than the tornado which struck the countryside near Metropolis the very next day. Even as the man of might flew toward it, he saw the rumbling twister rip into a barn, reducing the building to splintered boards which were thrown out in all directions. The possibility of a tornado occurring in this part of the country was remote, and during this season, it was considered impossible. Finding the cause would have to wait until the tornado itself was wiped out. Stopping a tornado was nothing new for Superman. He had done it many times before. He flew into the funnel, then began flying against the twister's howling wind. Faster and faster he flew, circling at incredible speed. Finally, the counter wind he had whipped up exactly matched that of the tornado. The two canceled each other out. The tornado soon broke up and vanished. 
In a car below, Lois Lane was photographing the whole thing for the Daily Planet. Stop, Superman, man. Listen carefully. I have a message for you. Superman could not mistake that voice, for he had heard it often through the years since that fateful day in Smallville. It was Lex Luthor, his arch-enemy. Turning, the Man of Steel saw a projected image of Luthor's face. It came from a small device that hovered in the air. Another of Luthor's brilliant inventions. And, as usual, it was used both for crime and for revenge against Superman. The voice went on. I cause the disaster struck Metropolis, and they will continue until your city is reduced to rubble. The airborne projector began to fly away, and Superman followed. Lois Lane was getting it all on film. This is front page material. She thought. So intent was the girl reporter that she failed to hear the clanking footsteps behind her. With a sudden swiftness, a metal hand clamped over her mouth, while another hand imprisoned Lois's arm. She was unable to break free or call out to Superman for help. The man of tomorrow had already flown too far away to notice her predicament. Flying over Metropolis Harbor the next day, Superman saw an incredible sight. An enormous iceberg towering to skyscraper heights above the water. Even Superman was baffled by the appearance of an iceberg this far south. The boats and ships in the harbor were clearly in danger. Superman hurtled towards the icy menace, but was stopped short by a harsh voice. Wait, Wait Superman. Superman. Don't, Don't smash, smash that iceberg until you hear me out. Luther again. I was certain this had to be your work. The radioed voice of the villain made the projected face seem to speak. Who else had the genius to do this, Superman? I advise you not to try smashing the iceberg until you have carefully looked inside with your X-ray vision. Twin X-ray beams flashed down from the Man of Steel's eyes, stabbing through the thick ice until they reached an air bubble. Inside, Lois Lane was sealed, imprisoned there by Lex Luthor. The evil voice continued. Smash the iceberg and she will be crushed! Use your heat vision to melt it, and she will drown. Superman turned angrily toward the mocking image. This time you've gone too far, Luther. I swear I'll catch you, and when I do... So great was Superman's rage that he failed to realize how close the iceberg was drifting towards the great Metropolis Narrows Bridge. Nor did he notice a flying figure approaching from behind. A man propelled through the air by rockets attached to his bizarre costume. It was none other than Lex Luthor. This time, in person. The next instant, Luthor seized the Man of Steel. It seemed to be an act of sheer insanity. Surely no mere Earthman could hope to match Superman in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But 
impossible as it seemed, Luthor was gaining the upper hand. The green glow surrounding Luthor's costume, combined with the pain and weakness Superman was feeling, told the story. Luthor's costume was covered with kryptonite. Once Luthor had saved Superboy from it, now the evil scientist was determined to kill the grown Superman with kryptonite. Gathering every bit of his waning strength for one last effort, Superman flung his attacker into the sky. Then, with the kryptonite at a safe distance, he turned and flew off in the opposite direction. Luthor grinned as he saw the fleeing figure. You can't escape me, Superman! I've already weakened you too much! I can see you can't fly at super speed, so I'll easily catch up with you and destroy you! Superman kept flying, but he turned his head to gaze intently at his pursuing enemy. Luthor stared at the face, hoping to see the fear he felt certain he had inspired in the Man of Steel's heart. Superman's eyes showed nothing of the kind. He was staring at Luthor's costume, and the expression on the Man of Steel's face looked triumphant. Only then did it dawn on Luthor what was happening to him. Superman was looking back so he could train his heat vision on Luthor's costume and burn away all the kryptonite. Luthor's weapon was gone. What? But that was not all. With the deadly green mineral gone, Superman shifted his heat beams to the rockets which flew Luthor through the air. They were melting, and without them, Luthor was already starting to fall. Panic gripped him as he looked below. Hitting the waters of the bay from such a great height would be dangerous enough. But looming directly under him, Luthor saw the broad metal span of the Metropolis Narrows Bridge. Relax, Luthor. You know I'd never kill anyone, not even a man as evil as you. With scant inches to spare, the man of tomorrow caught the plummeting form of the criminal scientist. Luthor looked up at Superman. I was afraid you'd be too weak to get here in time. No such luck, Luthor. I was only flying slowly so I could lure you after me and use my heat vision on you. Besides, if I let you hit the bridge, think of the traffic jam you might cause. I never did like your human Superman. A police car happened to be on the bridge. The team of officers who manned it hurried to take charge of Superman's prisoner. They were only too happy to do this, since it would mean that they'd be arresting the famous Lex Luthor, number one on the FBI's most wanted list. Superman smiled at Luthor. These gentlemen will see to it that you get back to your cell in Metropolis Prison. I'd fly her there myself, but I have some unfinished business to take care of. As the police car sped away, the voice of the evil mastermind cut through the wail of the sirens. We'll meet again, Superman. 
menacing iceberg had almost reached the busy bridge, another few moments and the mighty steel span would be struck and crushed. Its cables would snap like threads and the bridge would buckle and collapse into the river below. Superman knew he had to act quickly. And yet, Lois was still in the iceberg. How could he destroy it without harming her? He flew to the top of the mountain of ice and... yelled! Superman smiled tenderly at the brave reporter in his arms. He could feel her shivering from her ordeal, but he marveled at her courage. Sorry it took me so long to get you out of that iceberg, Lois, but I had some pressing matters to attend to. No problem, Superman. A smiling Lois said through chattering teeth. Right now your presence is positively warming. Superman flew towards the docks where a crowd of cheering spectators had gathered. Lois decided not to insist that he take her all the way to the Daily Planet offices. You can drop me off here. I can hardly wait to see Perry's face when I come in with this scoop. A short time later, Lois reached the Daily Planet city room. Perry White was standing in the doorway of his office when she came in. Lois hurried toward him, gasping. Perry, have I got a story! I've been kidnapped by Luther, sealed in an iceberg... And rescued by Superman when he shattered that iceberg with his super voice. What? Lois was stunned. How could you possibly know that? Clark was here 20 minutes ago with the whole story. Perry answered. It's already gone to press, but we still want your first-hand account for the next edition. Lois turned to glare at Clark Kent. She didn't say a word, but she was thinking plenty. How could he have reached the planet ahead of me? I caught a cab as soon as Superman left. Even if Clark did happen to be on the scene to get the story, how did he manage to get here 20 minutes ahead of me? Unless Superman picked him up and carried him here. Or if Clark Kent actually was... No, that's absurd. Clark suspected what Lois was thinking and smiled knowingly. 
And that was in many ways the beginning, uh, or at least the the flourish of my fandom, my real fandom. It's how I learned a lot of the component, the components of Superman's origin. And it really, it, it became a defining piece of, of the Superman tapestry for me. And as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of Superman, sometimes it's good to look back on those defining moments to keep things in perspective. So I actually encourage you to find a defining moment and drop me an email. Uh, if there's something that, you know, really defined it for you, uh, just drop me an email at mail at Superman at the mail at supermanforever.com there we go um i thank you for listening to this with me you know i hope it brought back some memories or pieces of your own superman tapestry Uh, until next time i am j david weeder saying keep on fighting the never-ending battle superman forever radio is a nap world production you can subscribe to the show on itunes where you can leave a review the show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. And episodes are also available on Stitcher Radio. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com. You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at SuperDaveWeeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.